All right, guys, we are back. Welcome to episode 91 of the Walking Closer podcast. It's been a couple of weeks since we've done an episode, and uh, well, it's time to get back to it. So to do this, I want to go back to right before uh, the shutdown. Yeah, just before the pandemic. So we are on episode 91, and I want us to go back to episode 75, um, which I titled, What a Mess, uh, part one. Now, you know, we've been, we're still in the middle of this pandemic, maybe at the beginning. I don't, who knows where we are. There's a pandemic going around. We're uh, kind of treading water here. And over the last, well, since episode 75, I guess starting 76 and forward, um, most of the episodes, if not all of them since then, have really just kind of chronicled where we've been uh, in those moments. And um, so now, after just a couple of weeks, just taking a little break, to be honest, just being exhausted, being tired, um, what usually would not be too much on my plate all of a sudden felt like too much and uh, just needed to step away for a little bit. So uh, now we're back and I want to go back to that time um, right before all of this. And right before I did this episode, um, I had just finished a series of episodes titled Jesus the Man. And uh, and I did those uh, because I wanted to focus on the humanity of Jesus, which I believe gets lost in all the ways that we've tried to make sense of who Jesus was. Uh, he was a man. He was a human being. And in our attempts to understand who Jesus was and what he did and what it all means, which, by the way, is a reflection of our need to have an explanation for everything, I think we get lost in all the theories. And yes, a good portion, if not most of what we say we believe, is based on theories. And I think who Jesus is and uh, what he means and what he did, what that means to us, I really think it gets kind of lost in in a whole bunch of stuff. And uh, now, a lot of these things that I'm calling theories um, or ways in which we have tried to make sense of it, okay? So I don't necessarily think theory is a bad thing. It doesn't necessarily mean it's false or wrong, but it is a theory. It's taking ideas and concepts um, and points and bringing them together to give a a good sweeping brief even um, summary, explanation, conclusion of what all this means. And specifically what we're talking about here is Jesus. Um. And so, yeah, a good portion, if not most of what we say we believe, believe it or not, is based on uh, theories. Um, Now, that may come as a shock to you, but it and it may be something you resist, but I'm telling you, it is true. Now, you might say, my beliefs are not based on a theory. It, It says it right here in the Bible. And you might be able to pull out a scripture to justify or explain why you believe something. But that belief is a small part of a much larger explanation or theory that has been handed down to you, whether you realize it or not. You see, everyone has a foundation or lens or framework through which they interpret the Bible. Now, most frameworks have been handed down to you. 
And depending upon which denomination or tradition you were taught in, that largely determines the framework in which you interpret Scripture. Now, there are other factors that influence your interpretations, but most foundations people have um, are, are going to be based on any number of theories that have been created throughout the centuries to help us figure out what to do with Jesus and how to explain who he was and what he did and what it all means. And every person who is trained or receives a theological edu- education will be trained from one or more theories. And I would guess that the majority are uh, in majority of you know, Christians traditions are trained in the what's called the penal substitutionary atonement theory. I think this is the majority theory. And while your pastor or ministers may not use this language, what they teach and how they teach it will be influenced by either this theory or another. Now, the problem with this is that with every theory they hold to, they believe in, they take as absolute fact, and so we teach them as absolute fact. And the problem, as I see it, is that people are largely unaware that what they are being taught may largely be based on a theory. A theory that is one among many in a long line of attempts to make sense of to, to make sense of what we're reading and, and different ideas that come from the things that we're reading. We're trying to make sense of it all. Now, you know, I don't want to get too far into this, and without saying this, uh, it's not necessary. Don't necessarily think theory has bad connotation to it. Okay, you simply you're taking letters, you're taking. These these books and letters, things have been written over centuries, and you're you're putting them together, and you're trying to make sense of them. Okay, we've been doing this for a very long time, um, and when you're trying to make sense of them, you're putting a lots of things together, lots of pieces of the puzzle together, and you are, you know, how you make sense of them. It's kind of neatly bundled and wrapped up into what we call theories, okay? Now, I know this because I was trained, I was educated in a certain tradition whose interpretive framework is largely based on a certain theory. And most, if not all, of these theological frameworks are based on theories specifically about the cross. I mean, just pick which theory or, or maybe a combination of theories that makes sense to you. So we have the ransom theory, the satisfaction theory, the moral theory, the acceptance theory, the penal theory, the Christus Victor theory, or a combination of any of these or others that you have to choose from. You just pick one or pick a combination of them. And then once a theory is settled on, that is, it makes sense to you, it becomes the filter through which you basically read Scripture. I mean, it's the filter through which all Scripture is passed through. And all the stories of the Bible end up being interpreted through the lens or within the framework of that chosen theory. And that's how this typically works. Now, here's the thing. There may be many conclusions that are right. In fact, I tend to think that there may at least, at least a little truth in all of these theories. But 
whole church doctrines, what churches or communities of believers believe to be true, is based on one of these theories or something similar. We're talking worldviews being based on these things. How Christians see themselves and others and how they respond to others is influenced by these theories. You sit in a church gathering, and what is being said and done is largely based on these things. These theories influence right, what we believe is right or wrong, who's in or out. And, and all this is, is scary to me, and it just seems super dangerous. I and mean, we're talking about an idea, an explanation that people came up with, a theory that might perhaps explain or bring greater clarity, but we forget that it's just a theory. And it might make total sense. However, these theories are largely at the root of what divides disciples of Jesus, what justifies us from loving one another as disciples. I mean, I believe these theories are largely at the root of the world not knowing that we're disciples by how we love one another. And they know that we're disciples just by simply the fact that of the tradition of the denomination that we hold to, or whatever it is, the doctrine that we, we push. They don't know that we're Christians or that we're disciples because of our love. They know about it because of a host of other things. Um, and shouldn't love not be what's at the root of who we are here? So now, I, I'm again, I'm not proposing that we just simply throw theories away. We just need to put things in their proper perspective here. I'm not proposing that we just throw these theories away, although that might not be a bad thing, or it might be a bad thing. But all I'm saying is, remember they are theories. Theories that in large part chronicle for us what people, Christians, were focused on throughout the centuries. These things were handed down to us. They had their own context and things within the culture and society that may have been driving that focus. Oftentimes what we see through the centuries is that one theory was dominant and then another theory surfaces as a rebuttal because the dominant theory was maybe lacking in some area. Again, they're theories, right? And with theories... Potentially holes and gaps and places where they're stronger than others. And oftentimes theories are, well, focused on specific things or specific areas, specific ideas. And they don't necessarily address every possible thing. And so, I mean, like I said in episode 75, I wonder why all of a sudden was this theory, whatever it was, found to be lacking and, and again, what was the, the driving focus, right? And, and so, so in other words, why after 100 plus years or all of a sudden there's these concerns surfacing about this particular theory? Why after all this time is now, this now just becoming something to address? Was there some prevailing thought that gave rise to questioning the conclusions that had been formally drawn. I mean, these are things that people were okay with for so long, then all of a sudden, it's not okay. And again, most of these, if not all of these theories, surround the cross. And 
then they interpret everything after it and before it in light of that. But there are other frameworks and, and theories that are used as well. Um, like, for instance, I would guess that most Christians interpret the story of the Bible within the framework of heaven and hell and have not even considered other options. And so when you read the Bible, you're reading it within that that framework. And how you interpret what you're reading is largely going to be based within those parameters. And again, I think this describes so much of where so many people are today. We have we have worldviews and traditional beliefs that are based on theories that are shrouded in theological language. Each tradition has its trigger words that people listen for to know if what is being said is quote-unquote sound. And then these trigger words are what I call highly charged religious words, and, and people adopt them and may not even know what they mean. But it's language that is comfortable and makes people feel secure in where they are in their church or with what is being talked about. And because it's, it's familiar, it's a uh, it's 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 like home to them. And again, as as I've said before, I, I personally question. Again, it's not necessarily about getting rid of these theories, or that they're necessarily a bad thing. It's just how we use them. And I personally question, you know, as a result, as this stuff trickles down, I personally question how many Christians actually are able to make sense of what they believe of this stuff, you know, about Jesus. Let's just use the cross specifically since it seems to be that most theories are based around that and then everything else just kind of, you know, comes out of that. And I wonder how many people can actually make sense of this stuff without using the highly charged religious words, right? I think it's, I think it's the reason my people have seen so little progress maybe in their own lives. I think it's part of the reason why people are turning away from being disciples, being from Christianity. It seems it seems like empty to them. You know, empty words and phrases and I think in large part the classic Christian language has lost much of its meaning and we need to start asking ourselves what does this all mean? Like why am I following this? Why do I do this? What what does this mean to me? And if you can't answer these questions for yourself, how can you expect others to answer it for themselves? And how, how can we judge others, right? How can we, we use these theories to pass judgment on others when we can't answer them for ourselves? Or how can you possibly help other people see why they should follow Jesus and what he has to offer beyond just whatever the highly charged religious phrases are? I mean, is there any practicality to it at all? And we we need to understand Jesus in such a way that it's practical for us. It makes sense in such a way that it translates into our lives, and it it really is good news to us. And it's it's such good news to us that we can communicate it to others who, even though they might ultimately not follow Jesus— but maybe maybe they'll be able to say, but I get what you're saying. I just don't believe that. Or I see what you're saying. Or even, I disagree with you, but I see where you're coming from. Like We need to be able to understand this stuff on a very practical level, where it actually makes 
since. So here's what I want to do. Here is how I want to move forward from this. I I want to challenge your perspectives in in different ways to I don't know, maybe help you gain some insight into like maybe what you're reading and how you understand what you're reading when it comes to when it comes to the Bible. I think I want to start there and and then allow that to lead us to talking about what I believe is the overarching narrative of scripture and you know why Jesus and and how I make sense of the cross and before this this episode or before the next episode I want to encourage you to go back and listen to episode 75 which may give you a little more insight to some of the things I mentioned in this episode. I mentioned that this is this is kind of where I wanted to take us. I feel like we're just in a big mess, and I want to help navigate that mess. Um, and I want to be careful here because I don't want to make, make it sound like things aren't complicated because, well, they are. I mean, you, as you'll see, when you're reading the Bible, you're reading narratives, and specific, specifically the New Testament, you're reading letters, and there are lots of gaps. There are lots of things you don't know, lots of things that you have to try to impl- to, to imply or infer. Um, and it's not always the easiest thing, especially since the fact that when we read the New Testament, reading through our lens, through our culture, and we fail to remember that as we're imagining how things unfolded, we're imagining them oftentimes as if they have unfolded within our time and space, when the reality is these are things that unfolded centuries ago, different culture, different value. So that's where I want to start. I want to I just present to you some tools um, to help you use whenever you go to Scripture and you start reading it uh, and trying to make sense of what you are reading. And what that'll do is just challenge your perspectives, okay? Uh, that way, at the very least, you'll get a taste of how things possibly could have been, and then maybe even how how far off, or maybe even how close, but just how different things might actually be. Um, and so, and then from there, again, uh, hopefully that'll lead us into talking about what I believe is the overarching narrative of Scripture. I'm going to talk a little bit about Jesus, obviously and uh, how I make sense of the cross. So we'll do this over the span of several episodes. Uh, I don't know how many, but just moving forward, um, this is, I guess, just my approach on helping us kind of walk through this mess. So we're going to start with challenging perspectives, okay? And so, um, yeah, there it is. And hey, if you like this episode, um please consider liking and sharing it. And hey, if you're up for it, give me a rating on whatever platform you listen to um, your podcasts, if that's available to you. Uh, doing things like that helps with algorithms and such. And uh, yeah, just uh, help out uh, the podcast. All right, there it is. Grace and peace. And I'll talk to you soon.